There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, Centauri and I were joined by John Salisbury. John is a yogi and proprietor of Modern Yoga in Scottsdale, Arizona. We had a great conversation that went from the rise in yoga's popularity in the United States to the physical and psychological benefits of a yoga practice to how someone who's never done yoga can get started doing it. You can find out more about John and Modern Yoga on their website, modern.yoga, as well as their social media, which are listed in the show notes. I definitely encourage you to check it out and to take a class. The first one is free. If you'd like to learn more on this topic, click contact us in the show notes and we'll certainly get you the information. Thanks as always for listening. Remember to tell a friend. That's enough about that. Let's go. Well, let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. And helping us move from awareness to action this week is my good friend, John Salisbury, a yogi and proprietor of Modern Yoga here in Scottsdale. Welcome. Thank you. Centauri, which of these yoga terms is not an actual yoga term? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I love trivia. Go. Vinyasa, okay. Ashtanga, okay. or Acro? I feel like they're all yoga terms. Wow. It was actually a trick question. Yes! I win for once. Okay, good. Are you familiar with acro yoga? No, I have no idea what that is. Okay. It's kind of like synchronized swimming, I think. Except without water and without the suits. So, like, what are the similar traits? That you do yoga with with another person. Oh, okay. I don't know if that was a wonderful description or the worst description of acro yoga ever. Synchronized swimming is like you're all doing the same thing together. Mm. This is more like, uh, you know, couples ballet or something like that. Okay. Fair enough. And there's, there's a person who's doing, uh, I don't want to say doing yoga to the other person, but they're flying them in positions that could be um, termed yogic poses. So one person's uh, a base, and the person's a flyer. So one person lays down their back, put their feet up, and they push the person around their Oh, I've seen this, yes. Well, there you go. So I was totally wrong, and that's probably not the, the last time that that's going to happen today. Anyway, it won't be. Uh, John, we're thrilled to have you on the show. Yeah, um, your stepfather, Dave Oliver, was a very, very well-respected and well-known yogi here in Phoenix. Um, may he rest in peace. But how did you get into yoga in the first place? Um, I uh, was actually living in California with my, my real father, because Dave is my stepfather. And... Uh, uh, a friend of my father's gave me a book. It's called Autobiography of a Yogi, written by Paramahansa Yogananda, a kind of a famous yogi. Came over here and started a bit of a movement for yoga. And the uh, book was really interesting and uh, kind of took me uh, took me by surprise, but also took hold of me pretty tightly. So I called him my stepdad. I was like, I want to know what this is about, and it had nothing to do with uh, physical. Um, interest. I wasn't really interested in doing a physical practice. Um, it was more about the spiritual side of it. And so he told me uh, a couple other names of books I should read. And uh, from there, I just kind of kept going and looking more and more into it. I moved back here after uh, I don't know, six months, three months, six months. 
and then took up a yoga practice with my stepdad. And there was a Shtanga yoga practice, and so it got a very, very physical practice. So, uh, and it just kept going from there. Nice. And how old were you at that point? 22. 22. Okay. So your your yoga journey's been going on for a little while now. Yeah, I'm 44 now. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. And the growth of yoga here in the United States, it's obviously been around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I think that perhaps the first yogic type text was the Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita, which is 500 BC, roughly speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read today that there's about 16 million people in the United States that are doing yoga. It's a, a $9 billion industry. Um, what do you attribute the growth and the popularity of it? Something I recently read uh, said something, I can't, I'm trying to remember where I, where I read this, um, but it, it said that um, the yoga boom, in a sense, has... Um, been um, helped by this interest Americans have taken in exercise. Mm. And if it wasn't for the Ashtanga yoga practice, because a lot of yoga practices are much more spiritual, um, slower, not as interesting, maybe not as rigorous or difficult. Um, yoga practice can be actually really, I've heard people tell me it's you know, boring, certain practices, and I've had people tell me that it's super hard. And so you have a great range of different yoga practices. So the Ashtanga practice is pretty hard. And um, people uh, uh, created what they call power yoga out of Ashtanga yoga practice. And the power yoga is kind of what led to more and more and more of a, of a physical craze. So if it wasn't for our interest in physical exercise, I don't know if the yoga would have had such a big boom. Can you talk to, for listeners who might not be familiar with the different types of practices, what Ashtanga means or what that practice looks like? There's a lot of different, well, you know, the other strong practice that um, helped with the development of yoga in America was Bikram yoga, and it's really hot, they call it hot, you know, it's really hot yoga, so. Um, then along the way, uh, the flow people wanted to get more heat, and then it seemed like Bikram people wanted to do more flow, because it's not very, Bikram's not very um, strength challenging necessarily, it's not a lot, a lot of stuff in the arms and shoulders, and then Ashtanga, you know, a lot of like, what look, what look like push-ups, um, so you're doing a lot of these vinyasas, the Chaturanga Dandasana, which is a lower to the bottom of a push. It's a lot of uh, it's very rigorous on your arms and shoulders. So that part seems more physical and strength and strong. But then you had this hot element that people didn't necessarily throw into a vinyasa practice. Vinyasa practice should already make you hot based on the the, the prowess and the challenge mm-hmm. of these these push-up things that we're doing. And uh, the hot yoga, usually just stand there and just do a pose. You just stand and do a pose. There's no linking of poses. So I think someone just started, maybe just like it was like a movement. I don't know if that was like someone. People just started thinking about adding more heat to flow classes. And uh, now, you know, everything's hot yoga, it seems like nowadays. So um, Bikram practice was difficult. Ashtanga practice is difficult. Ashtanga means eight limbs. Ashta's eight Anga's limbs was eight limbs, eight limbs of yoga practice, and eight limbs are like the things that you're practicing to move yourself forward spiritually. There's a lot of things. Mm. Poses are one thing, and so it's supposed to encompass like a lot of different elements of yoga into Ashtanga practice. You have uh, breathing techniques and physical poses, and um, uh, you have like the Ten Commandments of yoga: things you shouldn't, shouldn't do. You shouldn't lie or cheat or steal or um, be greedy. Um, be uncleanly, um, be egotistical, all these things you should avoid doing. Um, you get past some of that stuff, 
building concentration, leads to meditation, leads to a calm mind, leads to a happy, happy disposition. So that's like what the Ashtanga Yogi is. A lot of practices involved within the system, but um, you know, power yoga, flow yoga, uh, just uh, you know, a practice that again is very physically geared. People come for the workout and the sweat, and they feel good. They don't really look much deeper or inquire much more into yoga practices other than the physical practice. So a lot of a lot of hot, strong styles nowadays. So that that exercise elements really in there. As a yogi, do you feel like it takes away from the experience that these folks who participate are not looking at it for the spiritual gain, the physical gains, or is it equal on each? I used to um, feel more determined to talk people into what I thought was the true purpose of yoga. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, you know, it's just, it's just good to read different things and try to keep a good perspective. And, um, you know, I realized that uh, it doesn't really matter why people come or what their goal is because as long as they come, their perceptions change over time and maybe their desire to come will change naturally. So whatever it means to them is what it should mean to them. If it means losing weight, then that's what it means for now. If it keeps so, yeah. them coming and keeps them coming back and keeps them in a steady mode uh, where they're practicing regularly, what happens on the inside is, is what happens to that person individually. And so it's not for me. Maybe it's for me to um, offer some guidance or some information that might get them thinking a little bit, but it's definitely not to me to make them understand and be into the yoga aspect. So, you know, it's a spiritual thing, and I think it's very individualistic. I think it's, you know, something that's very, very personal to each person. So, mm -hmm. that's, I think that that's really interesting. It would be somewhat non yogic to force my opinions or down someone's throat. I mean, yeah. So it shouldn't be that difficult to speak the truth about something, you know. It's it'd be like trying to convince somebody that the sun is bright. It shouldn't be that difficult. You look up and there it is. It's just the truth, you know. It should be easily understood. And um, if I'm trying to make someone understand, then I'm really not doing a very good job of telling mm -hmm. the yoga story in a sense. So it mm -hmm. be more, I think I think it should be more like um, when you hear the truth, you simply nod and say, "Yeah, that's exactly right." When people hear it, they don't necessarily have to uh, be convinced of it. When they hear it, it should just be like automatic, like, yeah, that makes total sense. Without me having to defend yoga or something, or defend right. how bright the sun is. The sun is bright. Right. It is bright. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I mean, it's like, it's a silly conversation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's interesting. You just talked about um, America's really desire for, for exercise, for physical fitness. I hadn't really considered that. That's really perhaps one of the reasons why yoga has become more popular and making it, packaging it as power yoga takes away some of that maybe intimidation factor of, I don't know what Ashtanga is, but power yoga sounds like. Or, yeah, there's a gal that wrote a book named Beryl Bender Birch, and she was in Ashtangini, no Ashtangini women, females, um, Ashtangini males, Ashtangis, or we, they could all be considered Ashtangis, but... This one particular Ashtangini has been in a long time. She's uh, um, at the very, very front of the vinyasa uh, movement. And uh, so she created a book. And uh, the book, within the book, you look inside of it, and, and it has um, a complete description and um, all the sequencing to what an Ashtanga yoga practice is. So in there, you see all these 
elements of what make up um, or define Ashtanga Yoga. And then you close the book and on the cover it says Power Yoga. So the story goes that um, she created the book and then um, the publishers recommended that they change the name of the book to something that was more American. Hmm. And they changed it to Power Yoga. And so that was on, she was on the East Coast and on the West Coast at the same time this guy Brian Kest was creating uh, DVDs, videos and whatnot of classes, yoga classes. And uh, he called those classes Power Yoga. So they kind of went down a debate, like who who came up with the term yeah, power yeah. yoga first. It was so fierce of a conversation that actually went to court. Oh, I believe it. They went to court on who had the rights to the, the term power yoga. Who won? Um, I don't think I know that. It might have been a draw. Mm. I don't think anybody necessarily won. That whole $9 billion industry thing, and if you have the rights to a term like power yoga, that's probably a pretty important yeah. thing. I don't see power yoga term a whole lot anymore, but it was huge for a while. Mm -hmm. um, we had power classes and flow classes back in the day at this place called At One, uh, and At One, um, you could have a teacher that teaches flow, and that class could end up being harder than a person who teaches a power class. But um, I didn't really understand the definition of flow or power for a long time. Um, I finally started to understand, I believe still, uh, that power yoga just means that you're holding poses for a really long time. And um, there's still a vinyasa flow element in there, but you're just holding those poses. And in flow, people think often that the, the whole class is just constantly moving, but it really shouldn't be constantly moving. But that's what they think flow is. You know, you think of flow. Flow is a constant movement of something. But flow would be about, I think, it should really be more about the breath is constantly moving in a sense where someone's consciously breathing the whole time. You kind of stop, go, stop, go. You move and you stop in a pose. You hold it for a moment, then you move again to something else and hold for maybe five, six, seven, eight breath. Go to the next thing. There's a couple movements that take you to the next pose, but it's kind of stop and go, stop and go, stop and go. With power, you might hold something for like five minutes, three minutes which is a pretty long time. And then do you teach all, do you personally teach all of these or do you teach just Well, you teach, teach vinyasa yoga, that's what we, we have. I think we, I think it says flow on our schedule, flow. Mm -hmm. And again, that was my decision to take ourselves away from uh, an, an Indian, a Sanskrit name, and put us into something that sounds American, you know, flow, that's what it is. And um, in the flow classes, there's no definition of what that could be. It's like you go to one of our teacher's classes you go to a different teacher's classes, they're different because our teachers are really good. They can do whatever they want to do. So the classes are all very, you go to like Desiree's class, and that's, that's what you're going for her. You go to my class. It's not like you're going for some predetermined sequence hot class, which a lot of places offer. Okay. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about were certainly the, the, the many benefits of yoga and there's an undeniable physical aspect of it that we've been talking about, which is really what's attracted so many people to it, uh, but also the psychological and or spiritual aspect of it. And I was curious to talk about how people, what what they arrive looking for first. Is it the physical piece or, or is it the spiritual and, and do they morph into it? But, but we kind of answered that question. Yeah, we kind of answered that question. Um, you know, a lot of people also come for like back problems um, their doctors recommended they go to yoga for health problems, health issues. Um, you got people coming just because it's trendy. You got people coming because their friends are bringing them. Um, you got people coming because they're just trying to stay fit or 
maintain good health or whatnot. So, and you have people that are definitely coming for the spiritual aspect. The spiritual aspects are always a little more elusive in a sense where they're less definable. Um, it's like defining love. Like you can't exactly define spirit necessarily. You can talk about and theorize as to what you believe it is and what it means to be spiritual. Um, I think one of the best things we could say about it is that there's worldly and there's spiritual and when you're focusing on the world then that's worldly and if you turn away from the world and you focus on things that are not necessarily worldly that would be more spiritual but nowadays you know people are very worldly whether they want to admit it or not or even try to understand or not when we focus on the world we can get stressed out because the world is chaos the world is always changing there's nothing that's always set Anything can surprise you. Any day can be different than another. Um, and so that's what makes it fun, you know, the unknown and, and um, surprises. And when you turn, you know, it can, it can be very, you get a lot of suffering involved in that too because a lot of ups and downs. You go up, you're really high, you go down. So if you're focused on what the world does, the world will often, you know, make things challenging and maybe make you suffer. And it's not make you suffer, but that's, um, you know, something that just an effect that'll happen. And uh, if you turn away from that, and you turn away from those things that would make you suffer, and become a more spiritual person, it's also kind of you know less exciting. It's a little more boring. Um, the mind, which is used to excitement, can mm -hmm. become kind of um, unsatisfied. So a person really needs to, I think, be ready for something like that spiritual movement. You start taking away stuff that we're attached to, people start to feel pretty anxious and and they're attached to things so they're going to miss those things they start to feel like life very, isn't very exciting they need that excitement to feel fulfillment but if you can get past that they say behind all that is the truth and the truth i think can be very very calming and peaceful but it could take a long time to get to that point you know who wants to give up everything they have to go on a spiritual hunt mm -hmm. not too many people are for real on that it's not like you need to do it but um, that's what I that's what I think of when I think spiritual and, and worldly and I you know I definitely have every lots of things that I'm attached to and I understand that part of it um, and I don't think you need to really give anything away I think you have to be okay losing anything though that's where the suffering comes in because we're attached to the things we have and that's really that's fundamentally behind yoga is is or are Buddhist principles and meditation and or yeah, a lot of the same principles and the the practice of yoga is working towards enlightenment yeah it sounds like you when, when you're 22 years old you get exposed to more of the spiritual than, than the physical mm -hmm. and now it's been 20 some years what what do you most enjoy about your practice uh. I mean, there's a lot of things that I enjoy about the practice the most. Um, I think I think I just enjoy the feeling of getting deep. Like when I was younger, I was trying to get deep mentally, and um, you know, we found ways to do it. And um, you know, you're very eager when you're young too. When I say ways to do it, I mean that can go from like reading a book and trying to get really deep to literally doing hallucinogenics with friends and then just talking about things that um, could seem spiritual or euphoric or whatever and get deep that way mentally 
or, um, or whatever. And um, with physical practice now, there's a calming of my mind and I don't necessarily feel like I'm grasping it, trying to understand these, these yogic qualities. Um, I think we're just trying to be good people and be kind to people and, and I pay attention much more to like my um, attitude towards things and if I get frustrated or emotional over things, um, mm -hmm. if I get angry at people, I focus more on, you know, why is that happening or what am I attached to in that sense? Because if I get really emotional over something that's out here, I'm obviously attached to what's happening. Mm -hmm. If I get angry at this, I'm obviously trying to, trying to control that and I don't understand that very well. I don't understand myself well enough to approach this thing with love and, and patience and whatnot. So, I mean, that's a very human thing, a very human practice to take a peek into that. If you can't do that, I don't know, again, how can I be really spiritual if I'm still really human? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you don't get away from human, but those qualities of reaction. I'm reacting to this. This is bothering me. And it's this stuff out here. And I gotta, you know, look at why, why am I so upset over what's happening out there? Why am I trying to control what's happening out there? Happening out there is out of my control. So I can do something to change it, but I don't necessarily have to get angry about it. Why am I getting angry about it? Mm -hmm. You see a lot of that nowadays. People get pissed off at other people for what they're doing. They, you can't control what they're doing. And you can maybe have the best argument in the world. You're not gonna change anything. You gotta let that all just happen. You can do something about it though. You can be proactive and try to help change whatever it is, but get emotional and angry about it um, seems kind of like a waste of energy, but we do it, that's what we do. So in addition to perhaps clarity, what are some of the other things or some of the other benefits of yoga that you would say? So if I'm a new yogi coming in, what would you say are some so of the benefits? Say, let's just say the physical spirit? practice helps your body stay healthy. So no matter what, people come and they're only interested in physical practice, well, their body's gonna stay more healthy. Um, the breathing practices that you do help your nervous system. So it's going to help how you feel, how you feel things, how you handle things, um, how you um, react to things. Then the meditation part helps your mind. So breathing practices, you would just sit and you would deep breathe, and there's lots of different breathing practices, just like there's lots of different yoga poses. And the meditation part, you know, is for your mind. What you're trying to do is help, have, have your mind uh, slow down or calm down because you know our minds get going really fast and we feel very stressed out. We're doing too much in our head and be like running around trying to do too much in your house. You're just going to get stressed out. So if you can train your mind to be calm and more tranquil, which you know is a practice of awareness, you can't just tell your mind to you know, obey because your mind can be very fickle. Mm -hmm. And we can, it's like your mind would be battling your mind if you're doing that. Concentrate. I don't, you know, and it's just it would be like this. You'd want to observe that your mind is doing whatever, and then just train yourself to keep sitting and not react or move or get up because you want your body wants to react to whatever you're thinking. So you train that the mind is not in control; that you're in control, which means your consciousness, your awareness is in control, not your awareness is going and following what the mind wants it to do. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So. That part helps the mind calm down and be more tranquil and peaceful and obey. It's like tra it's training. You know, you got a, a wild horse. They they talk about it being like a, a jumping monkey, monkey mind. A 
lot. So if you have a monkey mind where it's all over the place, it has to be trained. If it's not trained, how will it be calm and peaceful? It wants to be trained, like a child. A child doesn't want to be out of control. A child wants discipline. That's what they say all the time. The mind wants discipline, but it will fight you every step of the way, like a child would. And so um, that will bring about steadiness, peace of mind. But the mind has to be disciplined. And you have to do it yourself. And someone can do it for you, but people, usually Americans, you know, we're very um, self-centered because we have so much. Mm-hmm. We're so self-important. We, we all are. It's just, it's just, this is the, the natural effect of the society that we live in. It's nothing wrong. It's nothing that anybody is doing wrong. We're very, very helpful as well. We're extremely loving and kind with our friends. We want to build them up. We have all that too, but there's this other part where the mind can be very, very... We can be, um, you know, legends in our own mind type of things, so we get caught up in our stuff. We don't mean to get caught up in our stuff. We're not doing it on purpose. We just get caught up in it. We have so many, so many self-important things to do. The exact opposite of being mindful is, is being unaware and getting wrapped up in ourselves and not even realizing it. Yeah, yeah, it's very easy. Very easy to do. And you were talking earlier about how we respond to outside influences. Somebody cut me off and I'm going to lose my mind and and have road rage or Mm -hmm. my spouse made some comment to me and it's going to ruin my whole morning, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of elements of things like stoicism and obviously Buddhism that talks about you have no control over what happens to you, but you have an absolute control over how you respond to it. Um, And for, for my money, that's one of the most valuable things that we can learn. Like you're talking about, it's not going to happen on its own. You need to cultivate your mind's ability to uh, to respond in a certain way or to not yeah. respond. Yeah. Well, to again, the emotions the emotions can be so helpful because you're feeling this rage or you're feeling this cons- worry or you're feeling the, um, the the fear grow inside of you and it seems to be building. And you know, your first notion is to react in some heavy-handed manner where you want to fight the situation maybe and if if people can just I guess you know there's plenty of practices out there they say just to stop for a moment take a moment step back from the situation assess the situation mm-hmm. take a couple of breaths and then approach it again but you really it's I mean it's not that simple you really have to have the awareness to like let's say someone cuts you off on the road and get pissed off to really catch yourself you have to, you know, that has to happen first. You can't do anything if you can't catch yourself. Um, I want to get mad at this person that cut me off. I, it feels like a personal attack. They may just be unaware that I was even coming. They may have looked and didn't see the car for whatever reason. Could have been anything. The, the, the road curves, there's a bush in front of me. I came in from out behind somebody else. I mean, who knows? And then they pull out, or they just don't care. Mm-hmm. No matter what, even if they did it on purpose, why should I still let that affect me? Even if they did it on purpose, which is really key because maybe they didn't do it on purpose, but we're personalizing it. And so a person has to not want to feel that way. A person has to not want to feel all that anger. So if someone cuts me off and I feel that, that's a lot of energy. That's a lot of emotion. And I can get really worked up over that and then uh, fume, road rage, whatever, for a few minutes and then feel exhausted by the time it's done because mm-hmm. you use so much energy when the person maybe didn't care. Um, 
or didn't know, or you know, they're not having any experience at all. All they know is they went like this, and they're driving off, and you're the one going crazy. Um, I've heard this before, and uh, one of the teachers that just came in to visit us said the exact same thing. That anger, anger is like drinking a poison that you think will kill another person. Expecting the other person to die. Expecting the I other love person that. to die. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, it's just, it's simple, but it's, it's crazy and it's true. So you have to not want to, when I feel that way, and I don't want to feel that way. That's what I just eventually learned. I don't want to feel that way, so what am I doing and thinking that makes me feel that way? And just because you get over it with one small thing doesn't mean some bigger thing will start to happen and you have to face it again until you really master it. So life will challenge you or whatever um, to become better and better, better at doing that, at, at letting go of the rage or letting go of the anger or solving it. And you'll get better at it quicker, too, at doing it. So uh, I tell people that you know yoga is working when things that used to bother you don't bother you as much mm -hmm. or they don't bother you for as long. Mm. You know, I didn't get this. Ah, it's okay, I'm over it. Some people don't get it and they go crazy and they have to have it. Obsess over it. Obsess over it. really bothers it. them. That's fine, they can get it, but once you get it, you, after, after a while you lose interest in it anyway. So then you have to ask yourself, why do I get so upset right. in getting it? Everything we get, eventually we're over. It's like you know, outgrowing toys. Eventually you're gonna outgrow it. So don't be so upset if you don't get it. Because even once you get it, you're probably gonna get bored of it anyway. Centauri still has some of the toys that he played with as a child. Yeah. Indeed, bring me some joy. That's... Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I am, I'm such a proponent of yoga, but my, my wife has, as obviously you know, does all the yoga for our family. Mm -hmm. But I'm such a proponent of it because I think that it teaches everything that we're talking about. It teaches mindfulness and mindfulness gives personal resiliency. So it helps people to, to better operate in the world. And I, in my mind, if you're able to let problems slide off your back instead of freaking out, it's, 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 it's all good. So what I respect about yoga so much is it's extremely technical. So you need to be, you have to have technical proficiency and you're always going to be learning and getting better at it. Um, but then the extreme test of will that it takes to be holding some of these poses. Yeah. And man, that is absolute mindfulness. So you, maybe you don't realize it, but you are meditating to a degree. Yeah. So like you're saying, you know, you know the, um, is it working? Yes. It, it's exercise, because you, know, you look at exercise, people are, they can handle the, the, the difficulty in exercise um, to a certain extent, but it's, there's always movement involved. So if you're thinking about pushing weights, you're moving the weight. You're not standing there holding the weight for like five minutes. Mm. You know, I don't know if that's something that anybody practices doing. We don't put a weight out here and then hold it, see how long you can hold it. That is a different test. And that seems like torture because you know, I think about like back in the day, um, teachers would scold kids and make them hold books, right? So the, 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 the punishment was hold books for however long and right. hold books. And that, when I was a kid, seemed like you'd be terrified to have to do that. But that's exactly what we're doing with yoga. You're mm -hmm. holding the poses. So it's very, very different where exercise is movement-based. 
uh, yoga, a lot of times you're going to hold stuff so it's a different test of your mind. It's one thing to challenge yourself moving and push yourself. It's different to stand there and not do anything and withstand what happens in your head while you're holding something. Mm -hmm. It's a very difficult position, not holding books, but you're holding your body in very mm -hmm. difficult positions. The reason for that is that um, muscles can stretch, but the connected tissue that muscles attach to need time. So the connected tissue doesn't stretch that well. It, you gotta hold the pose and sit on that so the connected tissue has a little bit of time to stretch. My dad would tell me that that's what we're really doing is stretching connected tissue, not the red tissue as much. The red tissue will stretch out pretty easily. It's that connective tissue. To deal with that type of burn is something very, very mental. Some people love it, some people hate it. I guess like anything, but I think you learn to love it after you learn to deal with it or master your mind in the sense where the mind, again, is not in control because the mind is saying, come out of the pose. Come out, this sucks, it's horrible, let's not go. I used to hear that in my head when I'd go to yoga practice. Oh, I don't want to go to yoga practice. It's gonna hurt. I don't, you know, I'm not looking forward to this. I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna look. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look stupid. I'm gonna. Um, I don't like to sweat. Um, you know, uh, I don't like to deal with the sensations. And so you'll talk yourself out of it. Mm -hmm. I need to eat. I'm really hungry. I'm gonna eat instead. I'm gonna go to the bar. I'm gonna drink a little bit. I'm gonna do that instead. Uh, I'm gonna go home and watch TV. I'm really tired. I'm gonna take a nap instead. So you have to. Again, it's a discipline. And so it's not just you know physical discipline, mental discipline, and and uh, I don't even know it's mindfulness because your mind will just cry and scream while you're in the pose because it hurts. But in that process of doing that, you are hearing this, and the mindfulness will come from that because you're hearing it. You're hearing your struggle, in a sense. And you're absolutely you get, present. Yeah. Now, the better you get at it, the more you'll feel comfortable and be able to handle it better. But yeah. You're very much in that moment. Like you can't really get away from it. Who's you want to walk out? You're gonna quit. I mean that. You know. There is no escape. No escape. I wanted to um, ask you a little bit. Going back to the yoga industry, how much do you think technology has made uh, yoga much more accessible for folks? I remember working with an entrepreneur who was doing some work with trying to um, pretty much make it easy for folks who want to do like episodic one-time yoga engagements to figure out where those were in the valley. And it seemed like there's a big movement to just getting people in the door. Can you tell us a little bit about how technology has made that happen? Well, I mean, the, the technology that I'm thinking of is like the, ac the accessibility on the online, that you can do classes, just watching classes online. Mm. That's really made a huge impact on getting out there to people, looking at their Instagram, following, um, getting certain apps, like this app. There's lots of apps out there that you can get yoga class, download yoga classes on. Wow. Um, that type of accessibility has, has really had an impact. You see a lot of people that would be scared or timid to come into a classroom can do it at home. They feel very comfortable at home. No one has to see them do it. They can do it. Feel good about doing it. Maybe join a class later. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, technology surrounding yoga, even technology in the clothing, technology in the mat technology and different types of props that are used. The technology, acro yoga was, you know, something that kind of came out of nowhere, but that isn't too new. It's just a matter of what practices are getting over here and they're becoming popular, trendy. Um, but the technology of, I guess, being able to find, really yoga, a lot of this is word of mouth. Hmm. Um, it's not, that's the great thing about yoga is 
no matter how computerized or technology-driven yoga becomes, nothing replaces this. When I do this, there's a huge connection yeah. or effect that happens when I do this. You can't get that through an app, an or, app or online or whatever. Um, it may make, it may enhance, I think it enhances yoga because we get music, we get heat, we get, um, you know, control of the environment in the room, um, and then we get accessibility to hearing things and learning about yoga that maybe we wouldn't have accessibility to, but the practice itself, nothing can replace touch. And when I say that, mm -hmm. what I'm talking about is me connecting you as a teacher-student and being over, over and help you you know, help you find the right position to be in. And you're not gonna get that from an app. Right. You're not gonna get that from anything online. That certainly makes sense. So what is the, uh, what is the secret sauce to, uh, to a successful yoga studio? Hmm. That's a great question. Uh, I think you have to know what the community needs, wants, um, is ready for. You have to give the yoga to a group of people as, as it suits them, not because you necessarily want to, you know, there's like different levels. You can't give a really hard class to an easy, to, to a group of beginners. And so you have to know who your audience is in a sense and know what the community is like, like what the city is like. Some people are more exercise driven, some groups are more spiritually driven. You know, you go to Sedona, I maybe I make my class more spiritually driven. Go to, um, you know, Los Angeles or Dallas, going to make it a little more physically driven. You know, they're more interested in the exercise portion of the movement portion of it. So, uh, the trend, again, knowing the trend is really helpful. Knowing hot, people like music, people like um, m the movement and you create a class based on that. You don't want to go in, and then you know, maybe uh, community doesn't like the hot, they don't want the hot yoga. You gotta know, it's not make it too hot because you drive people away, so. Um, being able to get the message through in a um, relatable manner and then providing a class that makes them feel good where when they leave, they want more, that's, that's a good thing to look for, a good thing to try to create. So for folks listening who might be a little hesitant or just a little, not skeptical, but worried about just joining a yoga studio or even going to their first class, what advice would you give them? How do you get them in the door? Um, you know, I really don't ever tell anything. My stepdad never told me I should do it. Uh, he never made my brother do it. He never made my sister do it. I don't know that we should ever make anyone do it. They, should, they need to come to it on their own. And luckily, yoga is becoming so trendy and mainstream now that you know you almost have to try a yoga class once in your life, just because. Uh, all, all I can say is, you know, when, when people finally do go, proof is in the pudding, and they're going to enjoy it or not. If they don't enjoy it then it's not, it's not their time. And maybe it's not something they need. A person really needs to feel the desire because I don't know if there's much point in starting something than quitting. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you want to explore it for a little bit. That's fine. But I'd never tell someone, hey, you need to try this. I'm not one to push 
too much on something like that. If it was someone that was closer to me, maybe I would a little bit more, but um, I think a person really just properly, because it's, it is a spiritual practice deep down, whether anybody realizes it or not, it affects you where you feel deeper into things. Um, that to me is spiritual, when you feel deeper into stuff. Um, you know, again, it's something you almost can't define a feeling. It's just there. And um, so I, I, it's too special to try to force feed on people. Hey, you have to do this. Nobody has to do anything. Um, they may, it may enhance their life more. And so they should just try it a couple of times, see how it goes. I, I've had people tell me, I hated yoga, but I did it for six months. I started to like it. I'm like, wow, how do, you know, how do you get through six months of hating something? That's self-discipline right there. Yeah, that, that does. That takes a certain amount of desire. Or I, maybe self-loathing. I don't know that I ever really enjoyed. I had these people like, I did yoga one time and I was hooked. I did yoga and that first time I knew this practice was for me. I never had that experience. I don't even remember my first yoga class. Mm. Um, but I was with my stepdad in this garage, but like I, I couldn't tell you about the experience. I couldn't tell you who was in the room. I couldn't tell you exactly how I felt when it was all over. It was just a physical practice I did. And we did this last final pose where you lie on your back and do nothing and lie there and it feels good. And you get up and that was it. And that was about as special as it was. I just do it again. But, but it was the other part, the spiritual part that I knew about prior. That's the part that made me keep going. Something in the back of my head kept telling me, you have to do this. That's the only reason I did it. You have to do it. And I didn't want to. But something told me I had to. So it's it's, diff, it's something very different to know that you don't want to do something, and you really want to even avoid doing it, but you know it's what you have to do, and so you keep doing it, and then it leads me to the place like this, to this point in time. So that's amazing. So folks who are say the folks listening are interested, are there resources on the web or say I want to get involved, but I don't have a friend that's part of yoga. I'm a little hesitant, I just need that extra push. What kind of resources can I use to find? Like, What's good for me? What studios are near me? What should I do for my first time? Really, it's just best to go around and experiment. Okay. Um, it's really tough to go into a class when you're scared and you're by yourself and get a friend to go with you. I have plenty of people that come from, I'm like, you know, who are you here with today? I'm here by myself. Oh, wow, that's great. Yeah, my friend told me to come. They couldn't come with me, but I'm here. And that's, mm. I'm like, wow, that's really brave. Really brave, coming to a new environment, brand new studio. Um, a place where it's not clicky here, but everybody knows each other. Everybody's really friendly. It's a very family-oriented um, place. Uh, we feel like a community on our own. Um, to have someone walk into a place where they don't know anybody, it's great too because our people are so friendly. You don't get places like you go into a place. A lot of times, the, the the people in the studio are very quiet, and the studio is very quiet. They like don't they don't encourage talking in class. Um, what you don't talk in class, but like before class. Or after class, you walk into one of our classes and people are loud as can be talking and the whole room is on fire, which is awesome. I think that's great because we're all getting to know each other. We're, so I got people coming brand new and I got people next to them that are just, hey, how you doing? What's your name? I mean, that's just amazing to me. People can be so open, open hearted, open with their time, open with um, uh, introducing themselves. And so right away it makes people feel comfortable. It's hard to find that. Mm. But, um, you know, you can find resources. There's so many resources online to um, get an idea of what kind of classes there are out there 
and you can just try some online. You just start Googling or you know, YouTubing yoga videos. You'll find lots of stuff and you can try some stuff and see what vibes with you and then try to find a studio that um, lines up with what that class is like. So if it says hot or vinyasa or yin or whatever, there's hard practices, easy practices. But the best thing to do is just get out there and start trying some classes with different places. See what you like. If you don't like it, try a different teacher. If you don't like any of the teachers, try a different place. That's something that I definitely wanted to hit on was, um, we've talked about this before on the podcast, there's that really famous Harvard study that lasted almost 100 years where they tried to figure out what it is that makes people happy. And one of the biggest takeaways was simply a connection to people's community. Yeah. One of the things that's so attractive about things like CrossFit or other of these exercise trends is that it does give community. And I know that uh, my wife is an avid yogi and here almost every day. And the community that you guys have at Modern Yoga is incredible. It's a it's a real thing, and it is very very inclusive. So I think that that's got to be a huge part of what your success is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the ex- uh, inclusivity is key. Um, you never want to go somewhere and feel like you're out of your league or that it's exclusive. You don't feel welcome. That's really tough to deal with. I'm not good at being in a a group of people I don't know and. Um, you know, being proactive and making friends. Mm-hmm. And people just as soon just, you know, stay with the comfort of their own friends and not necessarily welcome some new person into a community. Um, but, you know, I like, I like inclusiveness. And, um, you know, especially in a place like this, that's what you have to be all about. So, uh, you know, I was a fine dining waiter for a long time. And it really taught me a lot about taking care of people. In uh, fine dining, I mean, it's like, you know, you're waiting on people hand and foot. And they pay you well. So that, that's, that's good. It's not like I'm just a servant. But um, I, feel the, I feel purpose in that when you go above and beyond people's expectations of what you're doing for them. Knowing that, you know, they know you are not their servant, but you're doing such a good job taking care of people. really appreciate that. People mm-hmm. really respect that. And uh, it's great being a fine dining server versus a regular server. Regular servers, you know, they're not going to get as much as much respect. But you go to you know, fine dining server, and all of a sudden you're like a, you know, a master of these, of this dining experience that is like the top of the top echelon of things. And people respect that anyway. But um, then when you can really take care of them, boy, they really appreciate that. And I found that being that way here, where you're really willing to take care of people right away with everything that we do, everything you do. And, you know, that, that customer service is what Scottsdale is all about. I mean, that's one of our trademarks is how good the service is out here because the industry is so full of competition. So, right. um, you know, yoga schools can be in competition as well. Not that they want to be, but it's a business. Mm-hmm. And so you want to take care of people and the, the, the people that you have the best that you possibly can. So can yoga be fun, or is it all om and incense and, uh, and, 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 and Buddha statues? Well, that's, you know, that's, that's the thing is that uh, yoga is really, really challenging, and without some element of fun, it doesn't have to be fun. I think it's fun just in the doing of it. Sure. But, you know, playing music and playing really good music and fun music can really help to enhance the experience and make it more fun for people. Um, I don't really practice with music myself. I like to listen to what's going on in my head. I like to try to manage it and make myself focus on what's happening here rather than focus on what's going on in my head. But a lot of people can't do that. 
And so the music helps to put a little bit of separation mm -hmm. between their thinking and then what they're doing in this moment. You know, it's like dancing. You get away from your problems. Go and dance for a while. It feels good. Same thing, you're doing yoga. A bit of a yoga dance, moving around. There's music happening. It feels good. You get a little separation from your problems for some time. Nice. So, yeah. so if there were one class, if Centauri and I said, you know what, this sounds awesome. Would it? Would you recommend we come to do a flow class? Uh, depends on how difficult the flow class is. I mean, I got people that just bring their friends all the time. Hey, this is gonna be awesome. Gotta come. And I'm like, you're bringing them to my class for the first time. It's a really hard class, but um, you know, I guess they think their friends can do it. They can do it. It's not by any means easy. You know, basically would kick a person's ass. Um, so I, you know, it depends on the person and their abilities or their desires. You know, Me. they're big. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I've done yoga one time, so which, which class should I go to? Well, which class did you, did you take? Uh, I did an outdoor one at a park. Okay. Um, was it hard? Yes. You know, the, the good thing about indoor is that it's hotter, right? When you're hotter, we heat on it. You may get a little bit deeper in things because it's hot. Um, the music and the acoustics within a room is better. The energy of a park the energy is so it can't you can't contain the energy because there's no walls yeah so it's the, the experience is very different than being in a room and having a teacher come by and maybe help you and assist you um, and it really it's just something you have to repeat but I would I would recommend an easier class to start not start with something that just kills you no I agree you know because you want it to be you want to feel somewhat um, productive and successful yeah my stepdad uh, was always real big on making people feel successful mm -hmm. like you know you're not failing there's no mistakes you don't make mistakes in here there is no failing you're just in here and I want you to feel successful and he would try to make them feel successful so that you know they would come back and try it again because if a person feels like they're completely failing why would they want to do it again right I did not enjoy that at all <laughs> so how do I figure that out on I, I go to your website modernyoga.com yeah, we have an app. You know, you can go to the app too, the Modern Yoga app. How do I pick a class? There's descriptions on there. Okay. It says flow, it says yin, it says gentle flow, it says ashtanga. Um, you pick one of the gentle flow or the yin. So gentle flow or, would be good for Centauri and I. Yeah. Yeah, to start. We got okay. uh, uh, all, or all levels. All levels. Okay, so all levels. Yeah, that's always also very good. And those that'll still be hard, but it'll be better. Okay, nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, as our time is drawn to a close, Centauri, what have we forgotten to talk about, you sir? all my questions. Thank all you of so them. much. That was great. All of them. So, um, John, where can, where can, aside from the website, it's modernyoga.com. There, there's an no, app. No, it's modern.yoga. Modern.yoga. Modern. Yeah. Yeah. There's a .yoga now, um, such as a .com. So, you know. <laughs> Got talk it. about an industry. Wow. Yeah, we um, found that out just like yeah. a month before we opened our place and so we're like, we got to get that so yeah we went on bought modern dot yoga okay i'm probably so. going to do george grumbacher dot yoga when i get home <laughs> just to lock that just, up just make it happen yeah because eventually that will be something so um john thank you so much um what else would you like to, to share any closing thoughts um you know i look around uh, when I'm out and I see so many, because I feel like I know so many people in this community. I, I go out and I, I see people, I'm like, I don't know anybody I'm looking at, which makes me under, makes me realize that there's 
so much untapped potential for people to try yoga. Mm. And um, to me, it's interesting yoga practice, not like a regular physical exercise. To me, yoga is something that people actually eventually do need to tap into in some form. And you'll see it more in schools and whatnot, but it's it's like an it's a it's an all around energy cleanse where you clean your teeth when you brush your teeth, you soap your body when you take a bath or shower. Um, yoga practice is like an internal cleansing. So no matter what you do, even if you decide not to give up bad habits, as long as you're doing your yoga practice, it'll keep you half safe, let's say. It'll give you more of a potential to stay in good shape or good form or maintain. Um, it'll never hurt you. Hmm. And uh, in, you know that's why hour classes are great, to put on an hour and do some of this yoga practice. It's like internal cleansing. A lot of that cleansing happens in your gut. So a lot of the things we do, we're turning. So when you're, you know, you're turning to do a pose, your whole middle is being worked on. So all the organs inside. You don't really think about organ health as much when you think exercise. You're thinking heart health. You're thinking strong uh, muscles or getting in shape and looking good. But with yoga, you get all this cleansing through your organs and your liver and your stomach and your intestines and your pancreas and all. So that that right there, I think, should be something that. You feel good, and uh, the moment you start not feeling good is when your attitude changes. And so, to keep a good perspective on life, and um, you know, stay in a good zone with whatever you do, if you feel good and your gut is happy, you're gonna be a happy person. Wonderful. So anyway, excellent. Well, thank you again, John. Um, and we will have all the contact information uh, in the show notes. So check that out. Um, if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show and tell a friend. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.